everyone with the Australian Bitcoin podcast. In this episode, you're listening to myself, Justin, and Daniel from Hardlock. Today, we'll be discussing recent global and local Bitcoin news. But before we start, a quick word from our sponsor. The Australian Bitcoin podcast is brought to you by hardlock.com.au, Australia's first and oldest Bitcoin-only exchange. Hardlock aims to help their users save in hard money and to become self-sovereign Bitcoiners. Hardlock has no added fees on deposit, buy or sell transactions, so the prices are what you see are what you get. Sign up to Hardlock today using the discount link in the description below to receive free auto-send batched Bitcoin withdrawals for six months. All right, Daniel, how's it going? Yeah, very good, Justin. <clears throat> Great to be back. Uh, I haven't been on for a while. I know, we have to get you on a bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was on, uh, I was on holiday in April, as you know, um, went to Queensland with my family. So that was went for three weeks, so that was very good. And um, then on the next episode, you had Jeremy on, so now I'm back. That's it. Yeah. It's good to, uh, I think, get out of the state while the uh, borders are a little bit looser than what they have been in the last couple of years. So good to get a bit of holidaying in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was uh, good to have a bit of a break. Um, but yeah, I'm now back at work and yeah, we've been working um, at Hardblock, as you know, um, working hard. And we've, we've had a lot of people ask us about becoming an affiliate. So we um, completed that and we have an affiliate program. It's still kind of in early stages. We're still kind of, I guess I would say in kind of in beta stage because we just released it. But yeah, it's working now. We have some affiliates and um, yeah, that's going well. Absolutely. What what is the uh, the offering to affiliates? As in uh, the like, what's the incentive for them? Um, so I think you, you probably know this better than me. I do. I do. <laughs> I'm just playing believe, the role of the interviewer. <laughs> I believe. Uh, I'm just trying to remember. So I think we do fifteen percent of a half spread. That's but, correct. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if uh, if people sign up with an affiliate link, like if they're the the referee, I guess you would call them. Yeah. Um, they get six months of free batched. That's spend, right. Like yeah. yeah. So we get yeah free with batched um, free withdrawals for six months. So there's an incentive for the person who signs up, and obviously there's an incentive for the referrer. And um, yeah, we, we've had some we've had some customers um, start using it. Um, um, some new customers come in with the affiliate program. We had some people, um, most people were happy, but we had some issues with the digital ID, the sign-up process. Um, so some people had were a bit confused when trying to complete the verification. And so we're looking at changing from digital ID to use a different service to just kind of simplify that. And that's something that Bitaru has done recently also. So I think we're going to change that probably later this year. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think like my perspective is the digital ID, which is uh, associated with Australia mm. Post or even managed by Australia Post, seems like a good system, but they probably could have chosen a better name than digital ID yeah. because there's a lot of connotations attached to that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it makes sense just from like a perception. Um, and if people are having trouble you know, with the features that it has yeah. in and of itself, yeah, it makes sense to expand yeah, it out yeah, and do yeah, something yeah. different. Yeah, I mean, the di digital ID, it's it's an unfortunate name, but it, it's not really like the over-verification systems on other exchanges in, they don't use digital ID, but Australia Post, 
they actually use the same system. Digital ID behind the scenes works the same like all the other verification system. It goes to the government database and verifies your, uh, if your if the ID document you provided is correct. So behind the scenes, it all works the same. It's just that the it's like a different process, skin uh, on it yeah, or something like that. It's a like different that. skin yeah. by, uh, and the name, the Australian voice is named for service digital ID. So some people kind of are, are a bit turned off by that name. But yeah, that's been going on. And something else I, I wanted to mention was the, so it was the Bitcoin bush bash mm -hmm. and we were the, uh, earlier this year, I think it was in March, but now there was a new Bitcoin bush bus scheduled for 30, 30th of July, I believe it's July. Yeah, yeah, July. I think 30th and 31st 30, of July. 30th right. to yeah. 31st of July in Yepun, which is in central Queensland. So, um, yeah, so maybe, you, I mean, you attended your first bush bash before, so how, how did you, how would you describe it? Yeah, it was amazing. It was, uh, like a Bitcoin meetup on steroids because it's all the hardcore Bitcoiners yeah. that have traveled, you know, a minimum of uh, eight to 12 hours to get yeah. there uh, most of the time, unless they're smart and caught a plane. But I think there were some issues with plane rides <clears> and stuff at that point <throat> with borders. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it was great. Um, it was good to just get there and know that everyone has an assumed level of knowledge. Everyone's yeah. there to talk about the right yeah. kind of things. Yeah. No one's really there to talk about shit coins. Everyone was kind of on the, well, very much on the same page in terms of, um, I guess the state of the world in terms of things like inflation, a bit of government overreach and, and that kind of thing. So yeah, it just felt like, um, you know, being with your tribe, which is a really nice, nice experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think somebody from, I think it was Bill from the Bush mentioned that uh, it's kind of like going to the Bush Bash, there's a proof of work. Like you have to put some work in to get there because they're all in these very regional towns a bit for us. So you have to put some work in to get there. So, and everybody who, comes up than the proof of work so it kind of uh, raises the bar of on the type of attendees definitely yeah i felt that for sure and yeah, it's not quite the same like when you go to because there was a, a recent uh meet up here or conference here like the crypto roadshow like that's all just crypto stuff mm -hmm. um, i didn't attend that i was thinking of it just for mm -hmm. the the sheer sake of um what's the word like seeing the sort of the spectacle of it or something like yeah. that but i didn't go but even sometimes you go to the bitcoin meetups the local ones and there's a lot of people there that are like they're not sure about bitcoin or they like yeah. bitcoin but they yeah. really think this other coin is going to be the thing you don't get any of that at the bush mm. bash everyone's yeah. there it's the same kind of vibe and yeah. i think being a bitcoiner can be sometimes a bit of a lonely place if you mm. don't uh, associate a lot with other bitcoiners yeah. in real life in meet space so it was really nice to be in a room of like 35 other like hardcore bitcoiners that just get it yeah. um, and even some ranging from people have been there since the very beginning some people have been there just for a few months mm. but like everyone kind of grocks it on that really deep level which is yeah, mm. a really good experience yep so anyone who hasn't been to a bush bash or even if you have been to a bush bash yeah check out the one mm. coming up in Yapoon. i'll make sure i link uh like the bush bash website um and kind of the the noteworthy um twitter handles and stuff yep. that you can follow for the information if anyone's keen yeah no worries well we'll jump into the news so we'll start with global news today more inflation numbers have come out. Uh, probably not surprising to anyone listening to this podcast, but they're uh, they're still high. So, the United States annual CPI as of April is now eight point three percent, which is very very close to the forty year high that they recently broke when it was eight point five percent in March. Now, the United Kingdom annual CPI is at nine percent as of April as well, which is a forty year high for them. So, this is, I mean. I think this is going to keep going up and going to stay at these levels for a while. But I found it sort of funny that with the US numbers, 
uh, a lot of the politicians over there were talking about how, oh, inflation's coming down because it went from 8.5 to 8.3. So okay, this is a, right. a reason to celebrate. Yeah. And uh, to me, that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense because uh, unless we're trying to celebrate the small wins, because it's kind of like the metaphor for me is, you know, if you're going 85 kilometers per hour in a car and then you slow down to 83 kilometers per hour in a car, mm. sure, you've slowed down a little bit, but you're still going 83 kilometers an hour in a car. Mm. So you wouldn't do anything, you know, risky in that situation. Mm. So the fact that we're celebrating a small decrease in the rate of increase doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm. Like for this to ever go back to how it was, we'd need to be like negative 10% inflation mm. for several months at a time, for several yeah. years at yeah. a time. So not really reason to celebrate, but politicians over there are celebrating that they've done a really great job of bringing yeah. it down. I mean, that's what makes a good politician. You have to always spin things in a exactly. way that benefits you. <laughs> that is very, very true. And look, they're not alone. Uh, I think we smash uh, the US a lot in terms of their inflation because it is probably one of the highest. Um, Australia is at... Uh, I don't actually have Australia's numbers here to report on. We reported on it last time. It's around 4% or something. But um, interestingly, New Zealand's having their own trouble with inflation, which is closer to home. So their inflation at the moment is 6.9%, which is a 30-year high. And uh, interestingly, the government has decided to fight this, what they're calling an inflation storm, by using uh, another $1 billion of, of New Zealand dollars um, in a spending package to give out essentially like inflation band-aids to uh, a lot of their citizens so it's something like uh, $350 over the course of three months beginning in July um, targeting half of all adults who earn less than about $70,000 mm -hmm. there's also other things in there in terms of uh, trying to reduce greenhouse gas emissions boosting defense fun uh, funding and and even things like increasing health spending so that one billion dollars is not just going uh, to citizens directly it's going to a lot of other stuff that the government's prioritized too however I guess probably the point that we'll both land on is the fact that you can't really get rid of inflation by printing more money and mm. putting more money in the economy, whether it's for defense, greenhouse gas emissions, health, or directly to people to help them pay for the higher fuel costs or food costs. All that does is it introduces more money into the economy without more value, which means the money gets worth less, things get more expensive, and inflation becomes another issue that they need to spend two billion dollars perhaps next time yeah yeah i mean um, looking at the headline that we have here it's it says new zealand hands out extra cash to fight inflation storm and, and you like reading that headline <laughs> i mean i guess everybody else is probably thinking it feels like you know to fight the fire we're throwing more wood at it yeah it's, yeah <laughs> i mean it seems very crazy and you know like i mean it's so like silly and you know if i look back at kind of in history sometimes you see these things in history where you you know you look back and things like how did these people make such a silly decision like you look at for example in china when they were doing the um trying to during the great leap forward when they were trying to produce steel and um if you read about that it seems like so incompetent so silly it seems like so obviously silly but it wouldn't work or like, you know, even Soviet Union where they, you know, people, there were shortages and being produced, there was inflation, they produced price controls and there were shortages. And like all these type of things you look at in history and you think like, how were these people like doing these stupid decisions? Mm. And you was like, how could it, like, what was going through those societies? Like, but, but they kind of like, so it's obviously silly and stupid. And reading this, you kind of get, okay, well, it's happening in our society. This is obviously yeah. silly and stupid, but it's happening. 
so yeah, I just it's, wanted to kind of add it's to that. Very true. Like I, I've read, um, what have I read recently? So Anatomy of the State, with which is Rothbard, and then I read The Road to Serfdom, which is Hayek, and I've read uh, Economics in One Lesson by Henry Hazlitt. So anyone who's keen to know about Austrian economics, those are three books mm. to definitely read. Yeah. But they're written anywhere from like 1910 to 1930. Yeah. And they literally explain exactly what's happening in terms of things like inflation, yeah. where they say, well, look, if you implement things like price controls or subsidies or uh, price ceilings, what you end up is with higher prices and then yeah. shortages. And when it's things like fuel and food, which people need to live, that doesn't just lead to higher prices and shortages, it leads to people dying. Um, but at the same time, we knew this 100 years yeah. ago, and there's books written about it. There's evidence yeah. in history. And of course, this goes back more than 100 years. But at the same time, we're like, we're falling into that same trap. Yeah. I say we, I think yeah, we'll do yeah, it very yeah. differently, but government is falling into mm. that same trap. Yeah. On, on your point about like how silly this sounds, I think they've used like very emotive words to say like, mm. um, you know, we're going to fight the inflation mm. storm mm. rather than saying, hey, this is a problem that we've kind of gotten ourselves into mm. and now we need to take a, a really hard break from printing more money and even though it's going to be difficult like no one wants to talk about that yeah. that's not the narrative yeah. so instead it's like we're going to fight the inflation storm like people hate storms and they love fighting so like that'll that'll get people to understand what's going on but it's like it's not an inflation storm it's not yeah. just going to pass like yeah. a storm you can't just fight it like yeah. you fight something yeah. else so yeah very very silly um very frustrating uh I feel like Bitcoin is almost the only ones in the world who kind of really get yeah, this, or yeah. maybe gold bugs as well have yeah. sort of been saying this for a while, but the rest of the government doesn't quite yeah. rock it yet. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, yeah, you wonder, do they, do they not get it or do they just not, maybe they just don't care? Like, I mean, you can't be that silly. I, I don't want to use the word stupid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, right. so I'm trying to use the word silly, but like, uh, I mean, maybe they just don't care because they just care about the like short term. I mean, they, they must, they have, they probably have a personal finances in order. They wouldn't do this with their personal finances, but when it comes to kind of the state finances, maybe they do know that this isn't a long term good solution. But they're just trying to. But short term for them, if it wins them elections in the short term. That's what they. That's the path they choose. I reckon you've hit the nail on the head. It's the uh, like the four-year election yeah. cycle. Yeah. Most politicians knowing they're only going to be in office for yeah. four to eight years, and so every decision you make is really about kind of keeping everyone yeah. happy just for yeah. that short amount of time. And of course, most politicians leave government with a lot more money than when they came in, and their yeah. salaries aren't indicative yeah. of where that money comes from. Yeah. So a lot of that's networking and yeah. backroom deals and everything else, which yeah. is. Most of that stuff's completely legal, so it's not like they're doing anything yeah, yeah, bad yeah. In, in the eyes yeah. of the law. But yeah. at the same time, I think you're right. They have their personal finances in order. They have incentives to uh, to kind of kick the can down the road. Mm. And then it just kind of happens repetitively. Yeah. Broken yeah. incentives, yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just have one quick thing to add. So if it was also uh, in Germany. I just read an article just before and from ING, the bank. And so in Germany, the inflation figure was, the official inflation figure was, also similar around 7.5% for April, but there was also uh, the kind of, uh, the, put the perceived inflation by kind of questioning consumers and the perceived inflation was 14% in Germany. Yeah. So I don't know exactly how voice figures are compiled, but it was interesting that the actual perceived inflation was uh, much double. bigger yeah. double than the actual official inflation and to be honest i question some of these official figures i reckon they're a bit kind of manipulated to make them look lower i, I trust the perceived 
number much more. Absolutely. Yeah, I know when they say things like Australia's around two, three, four and a half percent yeah. inflation, most people with they're buying things like meat and fuel or houses or other store of value assets, yeah. they're saying, oh, actually inflation looks like it's more like maybe 30%, yeah, yeah. which is a huge 10 times more. Yeah. Um, but that would be probably what the perceived is. Yeah. Mm, good point. Next piece of news we have here is, so the president of El Salvador announced 32 banks and 12 financial authorities will meet in El Salvador to discuss financial inclusion, digital economy, and banking. I found it really interesting that uh, it was 44 countries, whereas when the Bretton Woods Accord started, um, that was also 44 countries that met in New Hampshire. Mm. So I'm not sure if that just coincidentally happened. Um, it seems not like there's a lot of Easter eggs in terms of numbers and numerology mm. in Bitcoin. So it would make sense if uh, President Bukele decided to uh, to make sure there was yeah. 44 there. That way there was a bit of a parallel with um, yeah, the Bretton Woods Accord, with, which, which was 44 too. Also the fact that Davos, uh, like World Economic Forum, yeah. World Health Organization, that's all, all meeting around the same time. So this is like the Bitcoin version of Davos happening in yeah. El Salvador, which yeah. is really cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I heard somebody describe it as the first Bitcoin meetup for nation states. Yeah, it's pretty much <laughs> the case, like cool, isn't it? That was a cool name. And like, yeah, pres El Presidente, mm. that's how he's been kind of he's been promoting it as a Bitcoin meetup. Yeah. But uh, like, I was just, again, I was just doing a little bit of research. And to be honest, um, that's actually somewhat misleading because it turns out this is actually, this is a meeting that actually has been going on for a long time. Gotcha. So it's actually, it's like some kind of meeting that's been happening every year and there's a rotating hoist each year. And it's some kind of, and digital finance services working group and something like that so there's a new host each year and this year was uh, el salvador's um, turn to host it so the actual kind of meeting it's not specifically a bitcoin meeting yeah that that was my perception of it too because the way that it read was something like yeah financial inclusion digital economy banking the unbanked and El Salvador's Bitcoin rollout. Yeah, yeah, so it's not yeah, like yeah. they're there to talk about Bitcoin. Yeah. They're talking about yeah. all those other things which they probably yeah. always talk about. Yeah. Um, but good that you know Bitcoin yeah. is being slipped in there at the end, yeah, especially yeah, if yeah, it yeah. solves some of those things. Right. Maybe it's led some central bankers yeah. uh, and financial uh, bigwigs home to go like, maybe we should be looking at this yeah. to bank the unbanked or whatever. Yeah, they're trying yeah, to do. Yeah. Well, usually in these meetings, the host has some influence. The host country has some influence on the agenda. So um, yeah, maybe some... El Salvador, man, yeah, like you said, they probably managed to kind of bring Bitcoin, the focus on Bitcoin on during that meeting. That's it. It's, it's kind of frustrating sometimes when it gets spun as a very Bitcoin specific thing, because it doesn't need to be that way. Like we can actually say a bunch of really important, well, you know, in quotations, important people met and Bitcoin was one of the topics they discussed. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. me, that's good news. You don't yeah. have to say like they met and they were just talking about Bitcoin yeah, 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 because yeah, once yeah. that's disproven, it makes the whole thing <laughs> seem like a little bit wishy-washy. So yeah, yeah. yeah, we don't need to do that. But I, I guess that's media all over, isn't yeah. it? Like they want to have a story. It needs to be the most mm. extreme story because mm. that gets the clicks. Yeah. Either people that are keen or people that are yeah. outraged, they get the clicks either way. Yeah, I guess moving on from nation state type stuff to uh, more institutional news. So the Warren Buffett backed new bank, which is Latin America's largest digital bank, is converting 1% of its cash reserves into Bitcoin. Uh, and it intends to enable Bitcoin trading for their customers. So this is uh, 
this is interesting because it's Latin America's largest digital bank, but it's also very interesting because it's backed by Warren Buffett. So he's mm. not the full backer, he's mm. one of them. Mm. Um, but the fact that he very recently with Charlie Munger came out again to more or less say like Bitcoin's not doing anything useful for humanity. Uh, he wouldn't buy Bitcoin even if it was worth, I don't know, he gave some stupid figures, like if it was worth $25, or maybe it was like, if I could buy all the Bitcoin for $25, I still wouldn't because that would look bad for my reputation. Like he said a bunch of things, similar to what he said before, we're saying Bitcoin is uh, rat poison squared, yeah. never buy it, etc. This is also the person that I think hasn't ever bought things like Facebook or Netflix or Amazon yeah. uh, when yeah. they were at their lowest. So probably not the most credible source of information on new technology. But at the same time, I, I would always come back to watch what they do, not what they say. So if mm. you're saying, you know, I would never buy it, but I would own a Latin American bank that's going to put its cash reserves into Bitcoin. Yeah. I'll do that. Like mm. that sounds a lot like owning Bitcoin to me just by proxy. Yeah. 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 I mean, yes, he's a Bitcoin holder now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Whether he likes it or not. And I think that that'll be the way for most people where they will end up using bitcoin or owning bitcoin whether they know yeah. it or whether they want it because it'll just yeah. appear in their superannuation or it'll be a payment rails that they use and someone will say did you know that was bitcoin and they'll go oh no i don't like bitcoin i would yeah. never use it it's like well interestingly enough you are yep yeah. <laughs> some more institutional news yeah you okay go. yeah so um uh, well so the next uh, news we've got here is so texas pacific land corporation which is apparently one of the largest landowners in texas has partnered with uh, a digital infrastructure provider and Bitcoin miner to establish a 60 megawatt mining facility in West Texas. Pretty cool. Um, Texas is obviously like positioning themselves as mm. the hub of Bitcoin mining yeah. in America and, and maybe even the world. I found uh, what, what's really cool with that news is one of those companies, so there was um, JAI Energy, mm. um, as well as Morrison Infrastructure. Um, yeah one of them being the digital infrastructure provider, which I think is JAI Energy, and the Bitcoin miner being Mawson Infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Mawson Infrastructure is an Australian company, even though, interestingly, they do the majority okay. of their mining outside of Australia, probably because of regulations here and, and so forth. But it's nice to see, yeah, Australian companies sort of getting amongst it in the global um, scene in regards to Bitcoin mining, and especially in Texas. Yeah. Well, I, I've never done mining myself, but talking to miners right now and people who are involved, it seems it seems it's actually pretty profitable right now. So, um, yeah, so it's expanding and uh, yeah. Yeah, even at home mining on an individual level can work. Definitely. I do a bit of Bitcoin mining and it's certainly profitable. I've seen a lot of different reports about how Bitcoin mining is actually slightly more profitable than just buying and, and mm. holding Bitcoin. But at the same time in the past, because um, I've only been into it, say, for about a year now. In the past, I didn't buy into it because I thought there was still a potential risk. Like, mm -hmm. I would rather buy Bitcoin and, if shit really hit the fan, be able to rotate out of it than buy a bunch of ASIC miners mm -hmm. and have to, you know, yeah. the yearly yeah. kind of yeah. contracts, etc. Yeah. Whereas now, it's at a point where it's so clearly being adopted by huge players that you have a, a bit of certainty about mm. all that infrastructure being built yeah. up. So it's almost like the... Um, always been profitable but mm. now we're reaching that point where it doesn't seem as risky anymore yeah, because too you know big it, to fail exactly too big to fail pretty much yeah. uh, but it's like it's that area where it's the golden age now where yeah. it's like a no-brainer to do maybe a bit of it or at least to consider it whereas in yeah. the past it was like ah look maybe buying bitcoins just safer mm. so mm. something to consider yep so more institutional news is uh nomura which is japan's largest investment banking broker uh, is launching a subsidiary focused purely on institutional Bitcoin and digital asset products. 
So that would not be to uh, their regular customers or just sort of you know regular citizens. It mm -hmm. would be to uh, to larger institutions. So very cool, um, especially given that they're the largest investment banking broker in Japan. Yeah, moving towards Bitcoin, like mm. a lot of people are. Yeah. Um, okay. So also you know related kind of news, but back in Australia, uh, so apparently there's an 100 percent backed sorry 100 percent <laughs> backed spot Bitcoin ETF was made available mid-May on the Australian secondary market. So I, I don't know much about that, but what do you know? Yes, so, so during, uh, the months seem to be flying by, during March or April, there was intended to be three spot ETFs yeah. made available in Australia. Yeah. Now, they're not actually Australian ETFs. One of them's a Canadian ETF and the other one's an American one, mm. uh, or two of them are American mm. ones, sorry. It's also not just Bitcoin. There was a, a Bitcoin one and, um, an Ethereum one, and I think the other one was a Bitcoin one. Either way, uh, they were set to release, and then they ended up stopping like right at the last mm. minute because uh, there was what's called like a prime broker, which is like mm. a market maker. Um, they didn't have the capacity to to deal with mm. uh, probably the volatility and probably the the kind of volume that they were going to get. So it was all paused at the last minute. However, a couple of weeks on, here we are now. Mm. Um, they've actually been made available. So these aren't again Australian ETFs, but they're available to Australian customers through our uh, CBOE mm. or the CBO, I think it's sometimes okay. called, yeah. which is our secondary market. Yeah. If anyone's traded stocks, they know the ASX is the primary market mm. and the CBOE is the secondary. What is good news from this as well is not only is it now available to people to invest in Bitcoin through things like regular, um, like a stock exchange or their self-managed super fund okay. or just a super fund, um, there will be more Australian ETFs issued soon. Okay. So there's uh, like BetaShares and Van Eck uh, trying to push their own um, Australian spot ETFs uh, okay. for Bitcoin, among other digital assets. So, okay. yeah, this is kind of like a false start last month because we had this as news to say, yeah. like, oh, there's going to be three. And all of a sudden it's like, no, there's not going to be any. Um, and now we're back and now there's okay. at least one. <laughs> so basically it will mean uh, people will be like different funds and institutions and investment funds can invest in this. Yes. Yeah. So it won't be open to direct to consumers oh no this will be open this directly be. to consumers okay. yeah sorry um what i guess the <coughs> difference is though like you're buying backed bitcoin like you're buying a share that relates yeah. to a bitcoin yeah. but at the same time there's a management fee normally with etf yeah. so you're paying yeah. like one and a half percent per year um you don't get to hold the keys to that bitcoin okay. itself yeah, yeah. so it, course, yeah. It, it, i think for institutions that'll be fine for them because that's probably yeah. how they manage most of their assets yeah. uh, but for individuals even though it's available to them i would say this is probably not the best offering individuals are in my mind, better off going to an exchange to buy Bitcoin, yeah. uh, which they always have been able to do. But I guess the cool part about this is institutions who probably were unable to do that due to regulations or due to different agreements they have in their own uh, organization could now quite likely buy Bitcoin if they yeah. wanted to, because it's all seen as quite more um, credible, I guess, given that it's on a, one of our at least yeah. secondary markets. So is this confirmed? Because there's often, like you said, this, with ETFs, I've been hearing that stuff for years. And yeah, it is confirmed. This is confirmed. Yeah, yes. It's going to happen. Definitely, yeah. Definitely. yeah. Um, so not only have I checked this with various news outlets, uh, but also through having myself managed super through Comsec, I'm getting a bunch of spam emails about you know Bitcoin okay. and probably yeah. because they know yeah. I've got something to do with Bitcoin. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yes, this is definitely confirmed. It's available now. It was actually available uh, about a week ago, if I remember right. So. If you wanted to buy an ETF of Bitcoin, you can, but I would suggest you just buy Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the best thing is you want to hold 
hold the Bitcoin in a wallet you control. And like, that's what we do at Hardblock. But I guess you could make the case that the second best option is to, to do it through something like this. You don't control the Bitcoin directly, but you, at least you still have some exposure. So Absolutely. Yeah. This could be a way around people who have set up, say, a self-managed super fund who didn't have Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies written in there yeah. as a thing that they can buy. I look, always talk to your accountant, obviously, but this to me seems like a way that you could then incorporate it into your super because you're not mm. holding Bitcoin directly. Yeah. Whereas if you wanted to hold Bitcoin directly, you'd need to have that written into your, uh, yeah. your fund strategy and your yeah. fund. Um, I think it's called like the M Memorandum of Understanding yeah. or Agreement. Yeah. So this is like a way around that perhaps uh, in a legal way, of course. Yeah. Um, or if you just have a standard superannuation account, I would imagine this ETF will now be available yeah. to standard superannuation yeah. accounts, which is very, very cool. Never before have we had that yeah. in Australia. So cool. a bit more uh, Australian news is the uh, Australian tax office, similar to previous years, have said that they're prioritizing Bitcoin and cryptocurrency capital gains tax reporting. Mm -hmm. So I remember there being something a year or two ago where they said they, they sent out a, an email or a letter to about mm -hmm. 100,000 mm -hmm. different Australians saying that they think that they've been underreporting their cryptocurrency yeah. capital gains. And I think they said they're going to do the same thing again this year. Um, it's not new news, but I figured this might be just a really good point to talk briefly about perhaps what we do personally to to manage that to a certain degree. Like I, um, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll jump into what I mean. And yeah, kind of okay. Uh, so like I have, Bitcoin that I'm saving for the long term, and I have Bitcoin that I have set aside to spend. Mm -hmm. So maybe yeah. to give to other people when yeah. we go to meetups yeah. or to, to buy things at the bush yeah. bash or whatever it might be. Yeah. And so the, the long term stuff, really, there's really no implication there. I buy it, I hold it, I don't sell it, which means there's no capital gains tax implication, super easy. Yeah. My intention with that actually in the fullness of time, whether that's five years, 50 years time, is to probably get loans against that Bitcoin yeah. rather than yeah. to ever sell it, which yeah. means, that savings Bitcoin, I, I don't need to worry about capital gains mm. tax at all. Mm -hmm. um, now, the spending Bitcoin, however, there's a few stipulations that make something for personal use. Mm. One is that you're disposing of it, which means spending it or selling it at a very similar price to when you bought it. Um, you're disposing of it relatively soon after you bought it. Yeah. And it's less than about $10,000. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know if that $10,000 is per transaction or per year. The amount that I'm spending with Bitcoin I is... I think it's yeah, I per, believe that that makes the most again, sense because otherwise that, you yeah. could you could use that yeah, as a pretty yeah. big loophole, I think. So I, I guess keeping those things in mind. And of course, if you want specific advice, talk to an accountant. But what I do in that regards is I make sure that my savings and my spending Bitcoin are kept very, very mm. separate yeah. to the point where if I put a transaction into, um, say, hard block uh, on my bank account, I actually mm. label it for personal use. Yeah. When I withdraw it, I'm withdrawing it to a, a separate wallet with a separate seed phrase and yeah. pass phrase that's just for personal use. Yeah. That way it's somewhat easier to track, um, but also it's quite clearly separate. The benefit, I guess, of doing that is that if you dollar cost average, you're actually buying Bitcoin at various prices. So when yep. you go to say spend it, it's up to you to decide which Bitcoin of your personal use spending Bitcoin mm. you're actually spending, mm. which means you just choose one that you've bought very recently and you choose one with a price that's similar to what you're spending it at. Mm. And that lets you have some spending Bitcoin that doesn't have capital gains tax implications. Yeah. And my way of tracking this is to just keep a basic Excel spreadsheet. Mm. Um, it's not that difficult to do. And as long as I kind of keep up to date with it every like month or so, it never becomes this like runaway train in terms of record keeping. Yeah, what well, I'm just curious to know. Yeah, no, I, I do more or less something similar. I uh, I have a separate wallet for spending, and um, separate kind of for holding, and the spending. 
like I don't even get anywhere close to ten thousand. It's pretty small. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if it would even come in a whole year if, if it would add up to five hundred dollars. So it's not very big. So I'm like I think everything should be all right with that. And the holding, well, luckily with holding the taxes becomes much easier. It does. Holding. <laughs> so you know maybe occasionally I might sell some or something or buy some, but it's not like a huge amount of transactions. So I'm like I don't use any tax like services to help with Bitcoin or crypto tax, and my accountant he's not super. I mean he knows the basics, but he's not some kind of specialist in Bitcoin. But because I'm just holding, it's nothing that complicated. So makes it easier, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, and that's it easier. Yeah. Same circumstance for me. I don't like the spreadsheet that I keep. I don't put that through any kind of other service to, to yeah. try to make sense of it. It's easy enough to make sense of yeah. it myself. And yeah. say my accountant is kind of up to scratch with Bitcoin. His brother owns some Bitcoin, yeah. but really, if I gave him a trading sheet with like a thousand or yeah. you know five thousand right, trades, right. Yeah. I don't think he'd want me as a client anymore. <laughs> or if I was spending a lot and having to justify it all as personal use, I think that would get yeah. a bit dicey. But the way yeah. that I've got it, which is relatively simple, the way that I've just described, yeah. um, that works well for him. And but again, um, we also know I'm not I'm not an accountant, so. I know you yeah. have disclosures. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this, is, yeah. this isn't technically advice. Yeah. This is what yeah. we do yeah. personally yeah. and what you might want to consider yeah. discussing yeah. with your accountant yeah. if you want to yeah. do something similar to that. And of yeah. course, if you got a letter from the ATO or you, you read that headline and thought, oh shit, am I doing this the right way? If you're doing it similar to us, I would say you're, you're probably going to be comfortable in your position. However, what I'll do is I'll link to a, uh, a fact sheet that was developed from the ATO's guidelines about you know what constitutes purchase, uh, sell, what you should be keeping records of, for how long, um, what is personal use, what is uh, you know capital gains inclusive. So I'll, I'll link to that. It's only about two pages. Um, it's really you know relatively easy to read and, and quite handy to get your head around this stuff. Um, so I have a, the next piece of news, which is very interesting, and I think good for Bitcoin, is so China has revived as the second biggest uh, source of mining. So there's been some mining data released by Cambridge Center for Alternative Finance. And yeah, and they showed that China is back, has had a resurgence as the second largest mining hub at 21%, behind the US, which is at 30, 37, 38% now. Mm. It's probably not surprising for people that have been following the China bans, because I think this was like the eighth ban in the, the last decade or so, yeah. and each ban prior to it, I don't know if you would say they've even been overturned. They just kind of like dissipate and all of a sudden it's like China's there with transactions or yeah. holding Bitcoin yeah. or mining yeah. Bitcoin. I also knew that there was a couple of autonomous zones. I say a couple, actually, it's, it's one, and I don't have the, the source here to say which one it is, but there was one autonomous zone in China that was allowed to mine Bitcoin, but they had to pay uh, an additional rate on top of the, the kilowatt hours. Mm. It was an actual, like, just one yeah. or two cents more. So that made me think, and I heard about this about three or four months ago, it made me think they're probably pilot testing it in certain areas, and they're probably allowing miners to keep running that are maybe like jurisdictionally located outside of China. Because um, I, I don't know exactly how this works. If they have really banned mining in China, it's, it's crazy that they still have about 21% yeah, mining yeah. of the network. And I imagine maybe that's state-sanctioned mining or maybe it's miners that are located, yeah, in, in other countries, but they're still Chinese miners, like in terms of their yeah. affiliation. Yeah, it's interesting to, it'd be interesting to know that. Um, 
what I and what you say could be true. Some of the stuff already is that actually some of the miners are just hiding it, like they're mm. doing it behind VPN, kind of on like a black market or whatever. And um, you know, China is a huge country, and it's probably the officials have a lot of stuff on to do. And this is probably not the highest priority. And like, uh, but the basically miners are mining behind VPNs and things like that or whatever to like hide the exact location and doing this kind of things kind of underground doing the mining underground in that sense when, that's what when, i heard when the band first came yeah. out and I, I think you're probably right and there's probably a mixture of these things <clears throat> yeah probably a mixture yeah um because I, I would not be surprised if eventually it came out that the chinese government were mining bitcoin mm. themselves in like mm. state institutions or, or something along those lines as well as having their own private institutions that are backed by the government etc but you're right there's probably a lot of guerrilla mining going yeah, on gorilla. but i remember when the the ban first happened there was this a couple of videos that got released of uh apparently in china but it's hard to verify um someone that had set up a bunch of bitcoin miners more or less in a cave and there was a like a waterfall that they were using the hydropower mm. to power their mining yeah and it was just like an example of you know this can happen even if a country mm. bans bitcoin mining yeah Bitcoin will find a way to route around, yeah. whether it's with mining, whether it's with transactions. Um, so I guess it's uh, it's nice to know Bitcoin is still sort of an immovable object in that regard. And uh, yeah, either way, China's still up there in terms of their mining power. Yeah, yeah, hash rate. yeah. I agree. I think it's that's why I said it's good for Bitcoin because mm. and you know mining is much more centralized when back to node network and the transactions. True. So like, if you want to buy ban people actually holding or spending Bitcoin, that's pretty much impossible. Like if you got a wallet in China, like a Bitcoin wallet in China, you've got a Bitcoin, nobody can stop you. So that wasn't even, the Chinese government didn't even attempt to do that. They just attempted to ban the exchanges and the mining. But if they can't even ban mining properly, and that's a pretty centralized authoritarian government in China, but even they can ban the government they're mining properly like yeah that's good for bitcoin because it shows its resilience absolutely and it's i think it's very telling for other governments that you probably shouldn't try to ban something and then have to walk back that ban you yeah. know months or, or years yeah. later or to have the ban there but then to have data coming out mm. saying it's almost like there is no ban at all yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's very silly and it shows that there is no power over something yeah. to, to ban it and then have to yeah, walk it back so yeah. i think this is um it's telling for other governments as well how to yeah. deal with bitcoin banning it certainly doesn't work because most governments aren't probably as totalitarian or authoritarian mm. as china mm. so if they can't do it especially with, like you say, the centralized nature of, of Bitcoin mining, or at least the more centralized nature mm. than, say, running nodes, yeah. personal use. Um, yeah, that, that's a good demonstration uh, for yeah. other countries as well. I guess final bit of news here uh, under the sort of technical category is um, there was an article released by Shinobi, which is all about how uh, BIPs, which are Bitcoin improvement proposals, are implemented. This has probably come up in relation to BIP 119, which I won't talk about in any detail in this podcast because we've already covered it in uh, the most recent podcast. If it's not the most recent one, it's the one before that. But basically, uh, there's lots of confusion over how do we, after we reach some sort of consensus, implement Bitcoin improvement proposals. So you might have heard of terms like minor activated soft fork or MASF or user activated soft forks or UASF. Even more recently, maybe a new thing called a user-resisted soft fork, or URSF. You might have even heard of things like speedy trial, which is to do with miners signaling whether they support an implementation um, or not. And that 
I mean, that's all very confusing. So I would say if you don't know what those terms mean and you're keen to know how things get updated onto Bitcoin, check that article. I'll, uh, I'll link it in the show notes. However, just for the, the sake of discussion about this point, I, I was curious, uh, maybe I'll, I'll put out my opinion and, and, and see sort of where you stand on it too. This whole conversation around Bit119 and, and implementation and even past implementation conversations around like Taproot and then SegWit have made me think, well, what is the best way that Bitcoin should, should implement something? Who should be the, the ultimate deciders? Because sometimes, you know, there is a thought that I've had of saying, well, look, developers are probably the most um, equipped to know what's going to be good for Bitcoin, perhaps, and they can inform users and really miners should be serving users. However, there's been a bit of a shift recently, I feel, in terms of the culture of, of making it seem like miners actually have a very big say in what happens. Maybe they should, I don't know. My personal opinion is like miners serve the network. The network is the nodes, the network is the yeah. users. The developers are to some degree working on behalf of the users as well, and they can kind of be a bit of a liaison to help users understand some of the more technical parts of it. But I guess my, uh, what I would like is that the users have the, the final say of do we implement something or do we not implement something? So using a like a user activated soft fork might be the best way forward. Like, I, I don't know. And maybe there's a bunch of other options here that we haven't considered yet. But I would say once we've reached some sort of social consensus where most miners, most developers, most users seem to say like, this is something that's gonna be good for Bitcoin mm. and there's no real bad risks to it. It should then be up to users to then signal and sort of push the activation. Because if we have developers or miners, which are a much smaller cohort, um, signaling and pushing for the activation, it creates this culture where then people, especially new to Bitcoin, will maybe start looking to developers mm. and miners to say, well, what, what do they think? What do they mm. want? And it takes the power culturally away from yeah. the users. And then this is something that maybe if we keep going down that route in a few years time, or even in a few months time, maybe we just look to developers and just look to miners to decide what happens with Bitcoin, which is, um, yeah, it's kind of against the ethos of Bitcoin, in my mind at least. But yeah, yeah where, where does that all sit for you? Yeah, I think some of these things are pretty complicated mm. and there's not an easy answer. But I think I tend to agree with you. I mean, users have the ultimate power, like in terms of ultimate power, like to make a change, if the users running the nodes don't change, then the network doesn't change or it will be a split. And so that's kind of where the ultimate power is. So I guess I would tend to think that the activation mechanism should reflect where the actual ultimate power is. Mm. Oh, for, yeah, I mean, there's other, there's other counter arguments to that. I think it's a complicated discussion. I don't think there's a simple kind of answer. Um, but probably makes it, um, if we have a use activated soft fork, it probably does kind of makes it a bit complicated to make a change because sometimes users might simply not be against a change but we simply don't keep up with yeah like, true. don't you know don't follow all the latest details and while they have that ultimate power sometimes they're happy for the actual for the developer to just decide because i think the developers would make the best decision as as a point there as well is that a user activated soft fork is kind of misleading too because most users don't design their node yeah so that they're downloading a node yeah. software package yeah. built around bitcoin yeah. core of course yeah. from um, other groups and those other yeah. groups generally <clears throat> can set whether they're going to signal or not signal towards something so the majority of users who are not really aware of that or care about that or paying attention to that um, would just be voting in the way that their node developer wants them to vote 
if, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So even the idea of a user activated soft fork, you know, I would love to see some stats to say like, all right, we have, as I've seen anywhere from like 50,000 nodes to 150,000 nodes. How many of those are you know, individual people that are kind of paying attention and want to have a say versus mm. how many are just running nodes and will hit the update button as soon as an update comes, which means yeah. that they're really just getting yeah. whatever their node developer has decided to set in the code. So even, yeah, you're right, a user-activated soft fork is more complicated than that. It's not like there's always conscious users behind that clicking, yes, I agree. Mm. And you're right, some might even not vote. Some might still be running uh, outdated software, which you absolutely can do on Bitcoin, which means that they don't vote for it, but then that gives the... Uh, impression that they're not supportive of it, but maybe they're, just, they're not aware of it, or they don't care. You know, they haven't kept up with it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. complicated. Yeah, yeah, I think it is, it is complicated. Uh, maybe even I'm thinking maybe we can do a future episode. Maybe invite a guest who knows these things a bit more and yeah, absolutely. Had that discussion about that. Definitely. But, yeah. To miss, I'm not the right. Like I know, I, I know a little bit about this stuff, but it does get pretty complicated, and I haven't been following the latest debates, so. I don't want to comment too much because I could probably say something. That's, that's, correct. Fair, that's fair enough. It's a, look, and on something like this, no matter what opinion you have, you will piss off at least about twenty to thirty yeah, percent of yeah. the of the uh, the others. Yeah. I'm happy to have that opinion. I think yeah. users should be the ultimate deciding power, but I do realize the nuance. It's not always yeah. as simple as yeah. like anyone controlling a node is a yeah. user and they know exactly what's going on. But yeah. I guess where this uh, this conversation started is that article from Shinobi, which talks about like what are the ways of activating. Um, and if you're just keen to know about that, go have a look at his article. He does put what his opinion of Bitcoin's implementation uh, yeah. protocol should be, yeah. uh, but that's again his opinion, and he's very clear to make yeah. that known that that's just his personal um, opinion based on his years. But have a look if you're uh, you're keen to know more. Otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, I think we'll leave that topic there. And you're right, maybe we'll get an expert on and, and talk about uh, some of the nuance. I think knowing some of the history as well of, of all the yeah. previous implementations yeah. is good to kind of know how each of these tends to play out. Yeah, sounds good. No worries. Well, we'll end it there. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Daniel, for your time. Yeah. Thanks, Justin. If you've got any comments, please reach out on HardblockBTC on Twitter. Otherwise, again, thanks for listening. And until next time. See you. Bye.